The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome everybody to the program. This is Squawk Box and these are your headlines. Time to retire transitory, so says Fed Chair Jerome Powell as he admits inflation has been more persistent than expected, while striking a hawkish tone on tapering, even in the face of the Omicron variant. Now the economy is strong, and um, <clears throat> it's strong, and, and inflationary pressures are high, so we're looking at, at a, at a going to discuss the possibility of a faster conclusion and wrap up those purchases uh, a little earlier. Crude prices rebound after a sharp sell-off in Tuesday's session as OPEC and its allies prepare to begin two days of talks over their output strategy. UBS names Sarah Youngwood as its new CFO, replacing the incumbent Kurt Gardner in the latest shake-up at the Swiss Lender. Plus, Chinese November factory activity sinks back into contractionary territory amid weaker demand and soaring prices. And France records its highest daily number of COVID cases since April as further incidences of Omicron are found across the continent. Good morning. Uh, how are you? Uh, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah, you're okay. We're yeah, okay. A little bit, little bit stuffed little up bit nose, but um, post booster, the lateral flow tests are fine. Well, we're, we're both Don't worry. Po- we're both post booster now, yes, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yes, yes we, are. we are. That's why we're a yes. little bit. Other. Look, yeah. I, I, that's amazing. What? Retire transitory. I know we're going to go through all of this in yes. a few moments' time, and Adam's got to get the, the shot in a few moments as well. Poor old yeah. Adam. But, yeah. but does that mean that every analyst, economist, strategist, policymaker that we've spoken to who has less information than Jay Powell, who, mm. lovely picture of him there, does that mean they also have to retire transitory now? Because it, there's been a lot of patronising towards mm. journalists and others who have dared to say maybe there's a degree of permanence about inflation. If the great Jay Powell is saying retire mm. transitory, does that mean we can stop being patronised? Um, I don't know whether it means we can stop being patronised, but obviously it takes on our understanding now of how the Fed has shifted its thinking around inflation and how stubborn inflationary pressures are. And I guess Omicron just throws another new issue onto the table when it comes to trying to understand the impact on economies. And of course, the big issue is, are we sure it's Omicron rather than Omicron? Are we saying Omicron? Well, some are people are. A, there, there is a debate going on there. I'm going to stick with Omicron because I've only just well, worked out how not to say Omicron. Uh, uh, well, Omicron to me sounds more like sort of James Bond's evil nemesis. I, I'm thinking more like a, a bad Mark Wahlberg film, Transformers <laughs> right. kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Omicron, I can see how that works <laughs> yeah, as well. Okay. All right, anyway, what uh, happened? Well, let's fill in the blanks. Uh, U.S. markets tumbling overnight then after Fed Chair Jerome Powell struck an unexpectedly hawkish tone, saying the central bank would discuss speeding up the pace of tapering at its December meeting in order to tame rising inflation. His comments came as the Omicron variant continues to spread but so far, not significantly to the United States, it seems. Well, speaking before a Senate panel, Powell said tapering could wrap up, quote,
quote, sooner than previously anticipated, opening the door to interest rate hikes soon after. At this point, the economy is very strong and inflationary pressures are high and, and it is therefore appropriate, in my view, to consider wrapping up the taper of our asset purchases, which we actually announced at the November meeting, perhaps a few months sooner. And I expect that we will discuss that at, at our upcoming meeting in a couple of weeks. Right, okay, so, I mean, what was interesting is, I, I, I mentioned it was like a tennis match before. Do you remember, yes. like, last, in the last 40 hours? And I noticed, like, the copy now is talking about tennis matches. So I'm going to give them yeah. a new one to copy and to plagiarise now. And that is, like, the ball's coming from both sides now. Because, right. of course, what the, the market thought it could get was, if Omicron was getting worse and the concerns about COVID were getting worse, they thought they were going to get policy support for longer. Uh, and then what happened is that then Jay Powell switched ends, but actually Omicron didn't switch ends. So you were getting the balls fired at you from yes. both sides. And therein lies the... The problem as well and you're defending yourself from both sides i.e you've got policymakers not potentially offering you uh, the sweet mood music of extra support for longer and you've got omicron concerns on the other side and that i believe is why these markets fell aggressively well it's interesting isn't it um, uh, we uh, were party to an ongoing conversation that took place on our internal system yesterday yes. between two uh, very well established cnbc well, anchors it, it in the Rick states and, yeah uh, go on, Rick. Rick and Steve. Rick and Steve. Yeah, they were, who, who were, was brilliant. Uh, and, and Rick was making the case here that basically now Omicron gives Jay Powell a get-out-of-jail-free card on how he adjusts either tapering or the interest rate setting agenda going forward because he can sound more hawkish he can sound upbeat about the economic data he can talk about how transitory is no longer the appropriate word for where we are on the inflation story but of course we all know that the big caveat to all of this is the trajectory of the virus yeah, yeah no, no the only disappointment of that brilliant exchange was that in the end they said yeah i think we're agreeing right <laughs> <laughs> um, okay so this That's is what the good. u.s markets did we saw 652 down on the dow as well uh, the s p was down 1.9 percent but, but one thing, I actually, let's get Jeff back in because I do want to talk to him briefly about this because I think what was fascinating was a brilliant piece of research. We get loads of brilliant data sent to us as well, as well as great conversations between our contributors as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and this was from uh, Gina Francola, who puts out a lot of our stats. And she said, whilst, and I've been making the point for quite a while that actually the S&P isn't that far off its highs. And I've been making it a lot. I've said, look, for goodness sake, after all this, it's still only down 3.7%. Now, if you're in an index tracker of that description or an ETF that's just following the fu- or the futures just following that, then that's fine. That's what you're down, 3.7%. But if you look at the individual components, the variance within that is absolutely stunning. I mean, really. So, as I mentioned, the S&P down 1.9% yesterday, down 3.7% off its highs. Look at this. From the 52-week high, now this was as of mid-afternoon yesterday, Twitter is down 46% from its 52-week high. Carnival, 45% off. United Airlines, 35% off. Walt Disney, down 29.3%. Also, I'll go on. Match Group, down 28%. Clorox, down 28%. Mastercard, down 22%. Caterpillar, down 22%. So the point is, there are vast numbers of stocks. In fact, as of mid-afternoon yesterday, 258 stocks in the S&P 500, which by my math is slightly more than half, 
See, that's why I get paid the big bucks, uh, are 10% or greater below their 52-week high. So correction territory. 120 S&P stocks are more than 20% uh, below their 52-week highs, which means roughly a quarter, just under a quarter. Again, my math is just going overtime here. The fact is, are in bear market territory. That is extraordinary stat. I, I love that stat yesterday. I didn't love it if you're long, but I loved it for the information yeah. it gave. Yeah, and I think one of the very interesting uh, aspects to this year has been the vicious rotation. And as we look at the fund managers, as they begin to close their books, they're probably hoping that they did it a week or so ago rather than having to do it now. But it will be, I think, fascinating to see actually how many of them have managed to make good money this year. Because I think it's been quite difficult, even on thematic bets based around the opening up of the travel and leisure sector, mm. or indeed buying into, what do you say, Clorex, buying into Clorex, that yeah. thematic yeah. around uh, disinfectant uh, medical treatments. And so, it hasn't been a no-brainer. You've had to own the right stocks in the sector. Yeah. Yeah, and look, look, let's show you WTI and Brent as well, actually, because this was fascinating. I, I, I even sent the team an email yesterday. I don't very often do that in the middle of the afternoon. But uh, we're at 68 bucks now. We had a 64 handle yesterday, mm. 64.73. And again, I was doing some pretty awesome maths, which I reckoned that off $84 of the high for WTI, wait for it, we hit bear market territory at around $67 yesterday. So at one point, we're in a bear market for oil, which is extraordinary because only a few days ago we were saying, well, the SPR release didn't really do much good, did it? And again, as we've been saying, the Biden administration slightly got out of jail on their policy by the fact that so much other bad news is coming around on the COVID front. So we hit bear market territory on WTI yesterday. Just a quick word on this. This is the Feb contract, I believe. We were on the Jan contract on the previous session as well. Um, you want to look at Treasuries? Well, it just it, that's extraordinary, isn't it? Because what we've done is we talked a bit about the equity story and we've talked about some of the challenges um, in individual equities and how you've got that whole list of stocks that now are in bear market territory. So that's one view of the world. 120, which is nearly a quarter. That's one view of the world going forward. Then you've got the oil markets, which have had a bounce, which suggests actually that they think maybe... Omicron, Omicron is overdone here. Maybe there's a bit of room here for a rebound. The growth is going to be okay. And then you've got the Treasury market. If we pop up the Treasuries and just have a look here, which tells you a slightly different story. Again, we've got a flattening of, a, of the curve on the Treasury market, and you particularly need to focus the twos to the fives because that tells you a lot about market expectations around the policy setting rate. But even out on the 30-year, we had um, a bit of a movement down here and a broad flattening of the curve, which gives you a view of the world that suggests actually Omicron uh, might be more persistent, might be more dangerous, and ultimately is going to have an impact on the, uh, the growth expectations going forward. It's just a snapshot, and perhaps there's an inverse play to do with how we fell on the equity markets here. But... Uh, it does tell you a little bit about um, future expectations. The shape of the curve is important in understanding how the market feels about growth. Safe havens then, where did you go? The, the interesting story here was through the session yesterday, in fact, people didn't go rushing to gold and you didn't see a lot of support for dollar. Maybe there's been a little bit of review in the 24 hours uh, since we saw the peak of the selling. Um, and now gold and the dollar are picking up a bit of a bid here. The Swiss franc actually um, has seen over the last couple of days quite a lot of support. And the interesting thing for the market is the SNB hasn't really intervened. It's allowed the Swiss franc to appreciate. And uh, again, just to the 10-year note, just a quick um, revisit of the yield there, just to give you a look at where we are. One spot, 46. The 
Treasuries did their job in a sense yesterday on that uh, safe haven story. But what do you want in a safe haven? You, you basically want something that is a promise on the future. You want liquidity. You want good management. You want the um, uh, possibility of maybe a regular dividend. And funnily enough, there was a hot conversation going on about why Apple got a bid and why Apple potentially is attracting safe haven money at this point. And, you know, we, we had a bit of a to and a fro on this mm. because it's not what you'd immediately think of as a traditional safe haven yeah. play here. But the nice thing about buying a corporate which has a good stream of products that are in demand and selling globally very strongly is you've got some natural inflation hedging going on as well. Yeah, look, you're looking for something that's well run, that's throwing off cash, that mm. potentially has got a huge uh, dividend and buyback potential as well. As you say, it taps into the growth side of things. It's mm. still looking at automobiles and, and other growth areas as well. Yeah, I mean, you, you can kind of see it. The problem is, well, that chart you've got on the screen there, look yeah. where it's come from. Again, yeah. you know, and you look at a multi-year chart of Apple, it's a one-way uh, ski slope. Let's have a look at the opening calls then. Let's, let's round out the picture for you and give you a sense of uh, exactly uh, where we may be headed uh, in terms of the open. We've had that rebound, obviously, in the Asian session here, but the opening calls do indicate we will also get some follow-through in the European trading day as well. But, you know, we're a, uh, a little bit away from that at the moment, so we'll walk you through the stories as we get closer. Now, uh, Jay Powell also declared it high time uh, that we retire the word transitory. I think that message has come across. The uh, key term the Federal Reserve has used to describe recent price pressures. Let's just have a listen into that testimony. The word transitory has different meanings to different people. To, to many, it carries a time, a sense of, uh, of short-lived. We, we tend to, 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 to ha use it to mean that it, that it won't leave a permanent mark uh, in, the, in the form of higher inflation. I think it's it's probably a good time to retire that, that uh, word and try to explain more clearly what we mean. Well, in addition to the inflation picture, Powell also told the Senate that the uh, Omicron variant poses downside risks to the economy. The recent rise in COVID-19 cases and the emergence of the Omicron variant pose downside risks to the employment and economic activity and increased uncertainty for inflation. Greater concerns about the virus could reduce people's willingness to work in person, which would slow progress in the labor market and intensify supply chain disruptions. Uh, the VIX um, uh, notched its biggest month. I refuse to read the bit that says it's Wall Street's fear gauge. Oh, damn, I just said it. What's up? <laughs> the VIX, which is Wall Street's fear gauge. You don't like that, do you? Lazy shorthand, do you think? I, I think it's, it's lazy journalism. I think it's a lazy description of what it is. Right. It's just an insurance product which nobody ever takes out before the market moves. No. But it's a fear game. In spite of you over the years saying... Well, it's only been 20 years I've been saying some, it. Get some, look at the price of it, why wouldn't you buy some, and so forth. No one listens to me, do they? Yeah. Anyway, uh, the VIX, or Wall Street's fear gauge, notched its biggest monthly surge since February 2020. But despite the heightened market volatility, billionaire, this is really interesting, by the way, billionaire hedge fund investor Ray Dalio says it is not safe, wait for it, not safe to keep your money in cash. What has to happen, I think, is investors, <clears throat> most importantly, have to realize two things. First, that uh, cash is not a safe investment. 
is not a safe place because it will be taxed by inflation. There will not be an interest rate that will anywhere near compensate. And it seems good because it's not volatile, but you're paying a tax of a few percent a year on that. So, A, stay out of that. Uh, that that's amazing, isn't mm. it, talking about the cash side. Just, just very briefly, if we, if, we, if we are confused about what's going on with Omicron, and I think we are all stunningly confused. I've seen the latest infection mm. figures in South Africa. They are enormous, but severe... Uh, illness is another issue and people are all still waiting to find out about that. But it's the data that we have to look at as well. Mm. Enormous amount of data left in these three sessions ahead. Of course, the biggest figure we're all looking at on the Friday is payroll. But you've got more testimony today, 10.30 uh, Eastern time before the House, uh, the ISM manufacturing uh, data and the PMIs and the ADP employment report. You had something else you want to say? Yeah, I just want to say, look... um Ray Dalio, hugely respected. Who am I to question what he's saying? But let's just put some other facts on the table. Warren Buffett currently sitting there with, what is it now, 149.2 billion. 149.2 billion in cash at the moment. So here's somebody else who just thinks that cash actually gives you optionality. It gives you a certain defensiveness. It gives you some protection in an environment where maybe you can't make a better return than the treasury yield at the moment. And that obviously raises some questions about you know, how big are you as an investor? How exposed are you already to equity markets? Are you sitting on gains? Are you sitting on losses? And so on and so forth. You have to go back to some basic finance 101s, I think. Ray Dalio's point is well taken here, but do remember Ray Dalio is in and of the market. This is also Ray Dalio who's just been raising money for new Chinese funds. So he thinks the Chinese stock market is is safe and there are other investors who don't necessarily think that's appropriate at this point it's just one more view on the table at the moment and i understand the arguments particularly around persistent inflation cash doesn't look great if you are continuing to see its value eroded by inflationary pressure but you know that is a slightly longer term story than just owning something at the moment that might give you a defensive posture if you don't know exactly where we're going with interest rates with omicron or with inflation yeah no i hear you um yeah i think we've got to move on all right let's take the break we'll be back in just a moment stay with us chinese manufacturing takes a hit as demand slows and prices pop uh, we'll have a look at these numbers uh, just a day after we were telling you how the pmi series suggested that chinese manufacturing was back to growth Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. UBS has named JP Morgan's Sarah Youngwood as its next group chief financial officer. Youngwood, who has been CFO of the American Lenders Consumer and Community Banking Division, will succeed Kurt Gardner after he announced he's stepping down. The changes are expected to come into force in May next year. Jeff. 
Um, let's take a quick look at the Asian session. Um, we've had a, a rebound in sentiment here. We've only got the Shenzhen market showing some red at this stage. So broadly, there has been a, a modest rebound from the selling. And um, the implied open, as we already showed you for Europe, is that we will get a positive start to the trading day. But let's just reflect on the latest uh, Chinese factory activity. So this series suggests a modest contraction in November, uh, saying waning domestic demand and rising prices have weighed on manufacturing levels. This is the Chinese manufacturing PMI coming in at 49.9. That's obviously just below the 50 that separates growth from contraction, marking a fall from October's reading and missing analysts' expectations of 50.5. Um, let's bring Sam in on this. Sam, Sam, yesterday we were talking about a slight beat, I thought, on the Chinese manufacturing PMI series, but this data suggests otherwise. It does indeed, Jeff. You know, certainly a surprise there. What it tells us is that the bigger and state-owned firms in China have actually managed to shake off these cost pressures a lot better than the smaller and private firms in the month of November. And one of the reasons is perhaps because we saw actual production uh, picking up quite well, actually expanding for the first time in four months when it came uh, to the private survey. And that was largely thanks to the energy cruncher easing. This was one of the consistencies we saw between the official numbers and the private numbers uh, and that is largely because uh, the smaller and private firms are typically uh, aren't able to sort of fend off those uh, high cost uh, pressures when it comes to production as well as the bigger and state-owned firms and that is perhaps why uh, we saw those official numbers jumping out of contraction while factory activity at the small and private firms did fall below that line. We did see those input costs falling significantly uh, from October as well which drove down those output costs so certainly uh, the supply side of things recovering but just to a degree because we did see the prices of things like chemicals and electronics staying pretty elevated. Uh, domestic demand was also quite weak, perhaps around uh, the fear factor regarding the COVID situation. At the moment, we saw those new orders slipping back into contraction. Uh, factories also laid off more workers in the month of November. So certainly a bit of a worrying trend and a very different picture to what we've seen uh, in recent months where the smaller and private firms have actually performed a lot better than the bigger and state-owned firms. But uh, from this data that we've got uh, over the last two days, we did see those bigger firms actually seeing a degree of stabilisation as they certainly benefited, certainly from this easing upstream price pressure. We know that China, of course, has been trying to ramp up coal production to address the power shortage and also cool some of those prices. And officials have said that those falling energy prices uh, has led to a drop in other things like steel and aluminium. So that is certainly what we saw uh, with this data. But as I say, a few worrying trends here when it comes to the small and medium-sized uh, businesses, particularly on the employment front. We know that that is a big focus uh, for the government right now. We do know that officials have been emphasising support for these SMEs lately. They've come out uh, with a lot of me measures, including delaying some taxes for these smaller and uh, medium-sized firms uh, for this quarter to sort of mitigate some of the challenges that they are facing uh, at the moment. I think uh, some of the commentary that came out of this private survey from the senior economists uh, was also quite 
interesting and quite telling. Uh, they said that policymakers certainly should still focus uh, on supporting the SMEs, uh, pay attention to employment and particularly household income because we do know that that needs to pick up uh, certainly for the consumption side of things. Uh, but they also said that they should treat uh, inflation seriously because, of course, we knew, do know that some of the downstream players are largely absorbing the cost right now as the sticker shock is fairly uh, limited. We also do know that the, the smaller and private firms uh, are really picking up the tab and there is some concern uh, about their bottom line as they are seeing these squeeze profit margins. Looking ahead, though, uh, as I said yesterday with this official data, certainly analysts have suggested that these manufacturers could face restrictions uh, in the coming months, particularly because of the Beijing Olympics, but also uh, given the uncertain path of the virus at the moment, because China uh, is certainly seeing an, an uptick in cases at the moment, reporting 113 new cases yesterday, up from that 39 uh, they saw the day before. So a bit of a jump there. 91 of those uh, were actually locally transmitted cases. And that's certainly the number uh, that we look at in China as it is maintaining this zero COVID approach over on the mainland at the moment. Uh, a big chunk of these are actually in Inner Mongolia and specifically in a city uh, that is actually on the China-Russia uh, border. And uh, that actually marks uh, the highest number they've seen uh, in, in nearly a month. It's already banned uh, residents from uh, leaving this city. Uh, and we do know that there have been a lot of restrictions uh, around uh, travel when it came to, to Shanghai. And that has been uh, certainly uh, putting pressure on the mainland markets, although uh, we have seen a fairly muted uh, trading session today when it comes to uh, both of those major indices. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.